and welcome to a podcast about murder. I'm Jem, and I'm here with Freya for another conversation about murder. Another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Make it sound more thrilling, why don't you? <laughs> so today we'll be discussing one of the most prolific serial killers in recent history, a killer known as the Red Ripper or the Butcher of Rostov, a Russian serial killer called Andrei Chikatilo. Over the course of this episode, we'll be discussing incredibly violent and brutal murders, as well as instances of sexual violence against women and children. So if these topics are sensitive to you, then give this episode a miss. I realised I didn't put any content warnings in my ones, the two that we recorded already, so... Uh, well, I'd send, I kind of hesitated to put that in, but I thought I think, it's better yeah, to be yeah, on no, the I think we side. should always do it, you're totally right. We should do it, we should just speak about what we're going to do every episode. But for this one, I definitely wanted to put it in because it is quite... Hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> Andrei Romanovich Chikatilo was born on the 16th of October 1936 in Yablucheno, a small village in the Ukrainian SSR. At the time of his birth, his hometown, as well as many other regions of the USSR, was undergoing a period of severe famine due to Stalin's forced collectivization. For those who may be unfamiliar with this, it was basically a process of replacing individual farms by either collectively controlled, kolkozy, or state-controlled Sovkozy farms, which was believed to be a viable solution to the distribution crisis in the Soviet Union, allowing for an increased supply of food for urban populations, for instance. However, it was basically too ambitious a program, as production quotas were set extremely high, basically unachievable, and peasants received almost nothing for their labour, so there were multiple bad harvests and the whole program was basically a disaster. Great. And it's estimated that the number of deaths due to these collectivization attempts ranges between 7 and 14 million. So as you can imagine, growing up in these conditions of extreme poverty meant that Andrei Chikatilo had a difficult childhood, to say the least. His parents were collective farmers who lived in a small hut and received no wages for their work. According to Chikatilo's own recollections of his childhood, he rarely had food to eat and didn't even eat bread before the age of 12. On top of this, he claimed that his mother would often tell him stories about an older brother, Stepan, who had been cannibalised by the neighbours. So there's no actual proof that Stepan ever existed, but... I've heard that story about the cannibalism. Yeah. Um, You just, you never know. Yeah. Between 1941 and 1944, Chikatilo witnessed the horrors of the Second World War, such as bombings and shootings. As Chikatilo's father had been sent to fight in the war, he shared a bed with his mother and was reportedly a chronic bedwetter, which I think is one of the signs of, like, yes. a potential yeah. serial the, killer. The McDonald triad is the three things that are always... I'm pretty certain that it's McDonald. If it's not, I'll cut this out. <laughs> but it is and to make myself sound better but it is um it's the th- uh bedwetting starting fires and animal abuse i think yeah those are the three so. signs so to have any one of those is said to be like a um an indicator of being a future serial killing during the war his mother gave birth to a baby girl tatiana in 1943 As Chikatilo's father was away in combat during this time, it is often speculated that Tatiana was the result of rape committed by a Nazi soldier, and that as the family lived in this one-room hut, Chikatilo would have likely witnessed his mother's rape. Yeah, I've heard that as well. That's, like, a horrendous thing. That alone could turn you into a very strange person. Yeah, and he's definitely, like, old enough for it to be something he for sure remembers, because he's, like, six at this time. Yeah. 
In spite of these awful conditions, Chikatilo was said to have been a relatively good student and developed an aptitude for memorising facts. Socially, however, Chikatilo was always shy and awkward, especially in the company of women. To make matters worse, he had discovered that he was chronically impotent, which added to his general feelings of self-loathing and inadequacy. When he was about 17, however, he found that he was able to um, achieve sexual completion, shall we say, <laughs> when he forced okay. himself when he forced himself on a friend of his sister's, 13 years old at the time. Mm, gross. He says of this incident, Tanya Bala, 13 years old, came over to our house. She was wearing knickers under her dress. She asked for my sister, who wasn't at home at the time. I told her that, but she didn't leave. That's when I pushed her down and lay on top of her. We were under some trees. We didn't take our clothes off, and I didn't touch her. But as soon as I lay down on her, I ejaculated. Okay, I, I, I'm not, it's not funny because, you know, this girl has technically been assaulted, but, um, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, it's unsettling to say the least that I think it's that it's like the pure act of just like something that the other person doesn't want to happen. It's sort yeah, of literally, it's like the fact he doesn't have to do anything. It's just the fact of restraining her. Yeah. So pretty Ends bad up. early sign. Yeah. Between 1957 and 1960, Chikatilo completed his compulsory military service. He then returned to his native village, where he began a new relationship. He was unable to perform sexually. This led to his partner asking her friends for advice regarding his impotence. And it didn't take long for these rumours to spread, and before long the whole village knew about his impotence. During an interview, Chikatilo claimed that the humiliation he felt over these rumours caused him to attempt suicide. Hmm. It's important to note that a lot of the details regarding Chikatilo's childhood and early life come from Chikatilo himself. And the writers of one of the first books about this case, Comrade Chikatilo, Russia's most notorious serial killer, points out that it's possible that he's embellishing in order to, quote, blame his actions on the consequences of a traumatized psyche from childhood. In 1961, Chikatilo and his sister moved to Rostov-on-Don, where he initially worked as a communications engineer. Tatiana initially lived with him before marrying and moving in with her husband's family. She was determined to find her brother a wife and introduced him to a friend of hers, Fyodosia Semyonovna Adnacheva, whom Chikatilo married in 1963. They remained married for 27 years, up until his arrest. They were able to work around Chikatilo's impotence and conceive two children, a daughter, Yudmila, in 1965. They were able to work around his impotence. I what? kept it vague because I know the details of how they conceived. And I can give them to you now. Is it? I, th <laughs> I feel like I know this. Is it like a turkey baster type situation? Basically, but it's more rudimentary where he's basically just like fingering her with his semen. <laughs> I, I can't decide whether um, like how to react to that. <laughs> okay. All right. That's okay. There's nothing. I mean, you I know, mean, I'm sure there's nothing actually wrong with that. You know, there's no, you, on its if you own. Want, no, on its own with no context, that's fine, and no hate, no hate to anyone who has those issues and needs to do whatever. And it worked because they had two children, hmm. so a daughter, Ludmila. It does and a surprise son, me that it worked, to be honest. Having obtained a degree in Russian literature and philology, Chikatilo began teaching at the Novoshaktinsk boarding school in 1970. It was during his time as a teacher that he committed his first sexual assaults against children. 
During a day out swimming in 1973, Chikatilo restrained a 15-year-old pupil and groped her, ejaculating as she tried to escape. This incident happened in clear view of other students, yet no action was taken to remove him from the school. Mm. A few months later, he locked a student in a room under the guise of having to offer her additional tutoring. He began to grope her, though she was able to escape through a window as he was momentarily distracted. After a while, these incidents began to add up and the director of the school allowed him to resign and leave the school discreetly. He went on to work at technical school number 39 in Novoshektinsk in... 1974, an all-boys school. Students here recalled Chikatilo watching them sleep and sneaking into their dormitories. In 1978, he was fired from his job, but not because of his totally inappropriate behaviour towards children, just because of staff cutbacks. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, I understand that at this time there's not really much resources for this kind of thing, but it's still, like, it's unbelievable that you could know and be like... Uh, just go somewhere else. So it's not my problem. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just... Ugh. Gross. But it's also like, he they wouldn't be ruining his career by stopping him from teaching in schools. Because he's got enough qualifications that he would be able to find work elsewhere. Mm. So I just find it weird that they were just like, no, no, it's fine. Yeah. Whatever. It's so crazy. It's like, it's just like the um, Catholic priests being mo- just moved around and stuff yeah. like that. And it's... I honestly feel like the people that just move them to another place are almost just as responsible for the yeah. following offences. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, it's also that if like they'd actually properly reported this, then maybe police would have looked into him a bit more when they do start looking at him for these murders. Hmm. But anyway. So he then moved to Shakti, where he worked in another school, and it was at this time that he committed his first murder. Chikatilo said of the autumn of 1978, quote, During that period, I was irresistibly drawn to children. I had a desire to see their naked bodies, their sexual organs. I wanted to have sexual intercourse with them, but already by then my potency was diminished. What else had an effect, apparently, was the fact that when I moved to Shakti and found employment at State Professional Trade School number 33, my family stayed behind in Novoshektinsk for a while, and I was like a vagrant, a wanderer. During that period, I was often in the centre of town, where there were always many children. I visited one school after another. I would walk right in, and always find where the bathroom is. Since I was more attracted to girls, I tried to stand closer to the girls' room, and when nobody was looking, I would go in and spy on the children. There were times when I was caught at such activities. When that happened, I would immediately leave without making a sound. That is terrifying. It's the fact that he describes it so fucking casually. Yeah, and he's like, and I just went in. It's like, what? He just went in? Like, there was no, there was (laughs) no. Like, this grown man was just walking into schools. Blah. Scary. Without working there. Like, he's not a member of staff. Crazy. On the 22nd of December 1978, Chikatilo committed his first murder. His first victim was Yelena Linoshka Zakotnova. She was nine years old. The day before her murder, she had told her friends about a man who had given her some chewing gum. This mysterious man had been mentioned by her before, but no one knew who he was. On the day of the 22nd of December, Lena and her friend had spent the day ice skating. When they had finished, Lena told her friend that she was going to see the man with the gum. She was last seen alive around 6pm, talking to a man in a dark coat with a hat. He led her to the shed of an old house that he had secretly purchased. 
There, he tried to rape her, but was unable to achieve an erection. Frustrated, he stabbed her to death, which caused him to ejaculate. He disposed of her body in the Grushevka River, where she was found two days later. This river apparently isn't particularly wide or deep, but its surroundings offer a lot of cover, and it's also filled with, like, debris and trash, like old cars. Which is just... <laughs> when you said debris or trash and then said old cars, that really <laughs> threw me off. That wasn't what I was imagining at all. People just dumping cars in this river, that's quite crazy. Yeah, but it makes it... I mean, the whole situation is extremely tragic, but the fact that this little girl's, like, lost... That she was just disposed in this garbage Yeah, like river. garbage. Yeah, it's terrible. It's disgusting, actually. Although investigators did initially look into Chikatilo, even going so far as to interrogate him, they ended up convicting another former sex offender who lived in the area, Alexander Kravchenko. Even though he had a solid alibi for the time of the murder, police pressured him into confessing, and he would eventually be executed by firing squad in 1983. Although Chikatilo had seemingly gotten away with his first murder scot-free, it still took him some time before he committed his second. On the 3rd of September 1981, almost three years after his first murder, Chikatilo killed Larissa Tkachenko, a 17-year-old girl he met at a bus stop in Rostov. Under the pretext of sharing a bottle of vodka by the Don River, he lured her to a secluded area, where he attempted to rape her. As he could not achieve an erection, he grew angry and beat her. He forced mud inside her mouth and strangled her to death. He mutilated her body with his teeth and a stick, even going so far as to bite off one of her nipples. Her body was found mm. the following day. There's um, obviously this, he's quite extreme as an example, but there's quite a few situations where it's like the uh, the knife or whatever implement sort of takes the place of a functioning penis, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, it's almost like um, yeah, this, the violence this... is like the just takes the place of the act that's similar to peter curtin as well yeah in this case he didn't have a knife with him but he would later always have one on hand Mm. and he does describe it as like the reason they have so many stab wounds is that he does penetrate them with the knife in sort of an imitation of the sexual act nine months after this incident chikatilo would kill again on the 12th of june 1982 chikatilo was traveling around the rostov region while walking from a bus stop near Donskoy, he encountered 13-year-old Lyubov Biryuk. Waiting for the right moment, Chikatilo grabbed the girl and stabbed her to death as he mimicked having intercourse with her. Her body would only be found a year later. Chikatilo had inflicted approximately 22 knife wounds to her head, neck, chest, pelvis, and eye sockets. These over-the-top and extremely brutal killings would become Chikatilo's trademark, perfected over almost 10 years. The eye stuff is... yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's I also it. like a watching, like yeah. not not wanting people to see, it. you know, like all his. It's all about his humiliation and his no, like, exactly fear of people making fun of him and things like that. Yeah, following Lubov's murder, Chigatillo didn't even attempt to restrain himself. Over the following three months, he killed a further five people. In total, Chigatillo murdered between fifty-two and fifty-six women and children. Chikatilo would typically target vulnerable members of society. His adult victims were either generally homeless or sex workers. He would typically approach his victims at train stations or bus stops, luring them to secluded secondary locations, such as nearby forests. He would typically stab his victims to death, and their bodies were often extremely mutilated. His earlier victims would have their eyes gouged out, as Chikatilo explained he couldn't bear to look them in the eyes as he killed them. Hmm. 
which is what we were saying about stabbing people in the eyes. On a few occasions, he actually removed organs and body parts from his victims, sometimes with his teeth. On one occasion, I believe, or maybe on several actually, he would bite the victim's tongues out. Mm. And then on another, he actually removed a whole uterus and nibbled on it. I, again, I'm, I'm, I've had the speech completely taken from me. Like, what do nibbled. you say? Like, how do you react to that, though? Nibbled on a uterus. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Chikatilo typically wouldn't try very hard to hide the body, but was meticulous in cleaning up his appearance before he left. Chikatilo's job meant that he travelled a lot, and as such, this made it very hard for police to link these attacks to one person, or even begin to view Chikatilo as a suspect because he wasn't necessarily local to the area where the murder had occurred. Right. And he was kind of like a ghost. He could just sort of vanish into thin air. The police led an extensive investigation. Over the course of this investigation, police actually solved over 1,000 unrelated crimes, including 95 murders and several hundred rapes. That's cool. That's, that's, um, that's a, a good thing to come out of a shit thing. Yeah. Gives you an idea of the general vibe in Russia at the time, though. Yeah, Uh, things aren't going great. (laughs) Although police were able to obtain, through dubious methods, um, confessions from several individuals over the years, the murders kept happening, which proved that the murderer was still roamed free. Mm. Police established an extensive card filing system, listing every person who could even slightly be considered a potential suspect, which mainly included anyone who had spent time in a psych ward or who had been convicted of either homosexuality or paedophilia, as well as sex offenders. In 1984, Dr. Buchanowski agreed to help the investigation into the Rostov serial killer, and he would eventually compose the first profile of the killer. From various eyewitness accounts who had glimpsed Chikatilo with his victims in their final moments, the police knew the individual they were searching for was a man, aged between 25 and 50, around 5 foot 10, and that he wore a size 10 shoe. Dr. Buchanowski's 65-page profile essentially added an important detail to the killer's psychological profile. While it was obvious from the nature of the crimes that the suspect was a sexual pervert, with paedophilic, necrophiliac, and homosexual and sadistic tendencies, Dr. Buchanowski theorised that the killer was sexually inadequate. Due to the fact that they had found crabs on one of the victims, police were checking venereal clinics in the area for any clients who could be a match for their killer. Buchanowski advised the police to also look into doctors' patients who had sought help with sexual impotency. These factors allowed police to narrow down their search, especially since they were looking for a very specific blood type based on sperm samples found at the crime scenes, AB. On the 13th of September 1984, a team of undercover detectives watched Chikatilo acting strangely at the Rostov bus stop, unsuccessfully and somewhat desperately trying to convince women to go somewhere with him, always brushing off their rejection and feigning nonchalance before moving on to someone else. They also saw him committing frotterism in public. I'm going to need some (laughs) extra info on that. So it's like basically he would go and rub himself against people. Right. To get off. I I find it funny that you were like committing that. And then you were so surprised that I wouldn't know what that was. And you were like, oh, you know, frottage. (laughs) (laughs) What? Because I've never heard that word in my life. Is that a normal thing? I don't know. I I mean, mean, not normal to do it, but normal. (laughs) Is that a known word? I don't know how known it is but it's like 
It's one of those old timey words yeah. for a crime. He's just rubbing himself against people in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> As you don't do. Nobody do that. No, please don't. Do not commit <laughs> frottage. Do not be inspired <laughs> to commit frottage. No. So they saw this and the police naturally decided to arrest and search him, which I think is a good reaction to have. Definitely. <laughs> In his belongings, they found a 20 centimeter long knife, rope, and a jar of Vaseline. Not great items to find. No, I mean, individually, maybe. Altogether, <laughs> definitely not. That's why context is so important. The detective at the time said, quote, It seemed that he recognised me. Horror was written on his face, and sweat was streaming down his cheeks. I immediately thought to myself, this is our man, the one we've been looking for. Murders in Shakti, and he was registered in Shakti. Works in Rostov, where there had been one murder after another in Aviators Park. End quote. The more they looked into him, the more he seemed to fit the profile of their killer. They discovered his checkered past as a teacher, and physically he resembled the man witnesses had seen with one of his victims. Although his dubious background was enough to earn him a place in the police's extensive file index, Chikatilo was released due to what was considered irrefusable proof of his innocence. His blood type was determined to be type A, and not, as police assumed the killers to be, AB. Chikatilo walked free. I know this uh, thing, though, isn't it, that he's got some rare, some super red uh, thing where your semen and your blood are different blood types? Yeah, basically... Because I didn't know that you could tell someone's blood type from their sperm. Maybe I that's did. I did, maybe but that's I, really but ignorant. I only know that because of this case. Um, but then I so basically, he has a thing where his blood type doesn't match his sperm type because the um the B antigen that's present in his sperm and saliva isn't present enough in his blood to register as right. AB. Oh, okay. So it's specifically with the B thing. In any case, that's why it took so long for them to catch him. Hmm. Because they have this hard proof that the killer has an AB blood type, and he doesn't. So following his arrest, Chikatilo took some time before getting back to his old habits. His next victim was killed on the 1st of August 1985 at the Domodedovo airport, which is just outside of Moscow, and which I've actually been to. Hmm. <laughs> you know, a while after this <laughs> Unrelated. happened. Unrelated. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> No reason. <laughs> no reason. In November 1985, Isa Kostoyev was appointed supervisor of the investigation. The investigation buckled down and re-evaluated all former suspects and began another round of questioning. The militia began patrolling the train stations in the Rostov area and undercover female officers were set up in attempts to trick the murderer into approaching them. However, Chikatilo had grown more cautious and followed the details of the investigation closely. It seems he decided to take a break from killing people, waiting for the investigation to die down a little. During this period, investigators theorised that the killer had moved elsewhere, or perhaps even died. By 1987, Chikatilo was extremely cautious in his killing. He only killed three people that year, all while he was far away from the Rostov region. By 1988, however, investigators were sure that the killer had returned, as Chikatilo murdered another three people, this time in the Rostov region following his usual MO. By 1990, due to the glasnost, the media was given a lot more freedom, and as such were very critical of the police's inability to solve these crimes. Mm. 
Mikhail Festisov, one of the leaders of the investigation, was also growing weary of his team's lax attitude towards the case and threatened to start firing people if the killer wasn't caught soon. On the 27th of October 1990, the police put together a major operation with the hopes of catching the killer. They decided to place very obvious police officers in the major stations around the Rostov Oblast, hoping that this would deter the killer from them and force him towards three specific small stations where undercover police officers would be posted, looking for any suspicious activity. In total, 360 officers were deployed. So I was actually curious as to the relative size of the Rostov Oblast, and I looked it up. So just to compare, the Rostov Oblast has a surface area of 100, like, I won't go into the numbers. Basically, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's 100,800. Hang on. How do you say that? Because I was almost going to say 100, 800, and that's not right. <laughs> Sounds like a, <laughs> um, like a helpline or something. <laughs> Um, 100,800? Yeah, but it's such a weird number to say. That's correct, though. I've never heard that. So. Sorry, 100,800 so square miles, did you say? Kilo- kilo- square kilometers. That's still loads, right? That's massive. That's 38,000 square miles. That's big. Yeah, that's bigger than the whole of Scotland. Wow. To compare, and it's slightly smaller than the state of Pennsylvania for our American listeners out there. <laughs> okay, that's big for yeah. just like an area. So that's the area that he's operating in, and that's why the police have to be sent to all of the stations in that area. Mm. Three days after the start of this operation, police found a 16 year old boy, Vadim Gromov. It was obvious from the extent of his injuries that he had been killed by their elusive murderer. He had been castrated and stabbed in one eye. Police Mm. determined that he had been killed before the start of their operation. However, on the same day that Vadim's body was discovered, Chikatilo murdered another teenage boy, Viktor Tyshenko, who was found on the 3rd of November. Frustratingly, he had been lured from a station the police had been working undercover at. God. So, he's good at this. He's good. But the thing is, he's not that good, because he's not that (laughs) subtle. Well then, well then, the only logical conclusion is the police are not good. Mm. Mm. <laughs> not so controversial a take there. On the 6th of November 1990, Chikatilo committed his final murder. 22-year-old Svetlana Korostik was his final victim. As Chikatilo returned to the station, undercover officer Igor Rybakov noticed Chikatilo and immediately thought something was off. Ostensibly, Chikatilo was dressed as if he had gone to pick mushrooms in the nearby forest. Rebekov, What's however, a mushroom picking outfit? Well, this is the thing because let me just check that I described. Basically, it's not that he has it that you would wear a specific outfit to go and pick mushrooms. It's that he is particularly then overdressed. Then I'm disappointed and I've lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a manner of you know you're not dressed like. Well, he's like it would be a bit weird to wear a suit to go and pick mushrooms. Sure, sure, okay. So good detective work so far. Mm-hmm. Rybakov was puzzled by his choice of bag. So in the book, Comrade Chikatilo, they write, quote, <laughs> they write from the point of view of the detective, which I find quite amusing. So they write, quote, a person would have to be out of his mind to put mushrooms in a soft bag like that. They would get moldy inside. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> I also want to point out that, like, Rybakov was about to, his shift was about to end. So... 
it would have been possible for him to not really care or notice details like this. Give him. So he watched Chikatilo intently. He went to wash his face and hands before chatting with some women by the station. Which I actually, as I was writing this, I realized how weird that is because he claims to be so socially awkward and so shy of women that he can't talk to them. And this just proves that he's making it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, c- I can only, I only feel natural and at ease when I'm trying to murder them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm not trying to murder them, I just choke up. <laughs> That's just, yeah. Yeah, because he must be able to articulate himself in such a way that he doesn't seem threatening. Well, that's the thing. A lot of people actually say that he's quite charming. A lot of his victims were obviously, like, persuaded by him to go to secondary locations. Right. Rybakov noticed that Chikatilo had leaves and branches stuck to his back, but his shoes were surprisingly clean, as if they had just been washed. Hmm. He then noticed traces of blood on his cheek, and then he noticed that one of his fingers was bandaged. Rybakov approached Chikatilo, asking for his documentation. He noted that Chikatilo had a special railroad pass that allowed him to travel for free on the trains, so this would line up with theories about the murderer, who seemed to have unlimited access to trains. Rybakov was unable to find a plausible reason to arrest Chikatilo right then and there, and eventually let him go, but he remembered his name. When police discovered Svetlana's body, the lead investigator noticed that Chikatilo had been stopped but not detained, and flew into a rage over his detective's incompetence. They decided to place Chikatilo under surveillance, waiting for him to strike so that they could catch him in the act. Undeniable evidence that he was the killer that had escaped them for so long. On the afternoon of the 20th of November, police watched Chikatilo approach numerous young boys unsuccessfully. After catching Chikatilo's actions on tape, five police officers closed in on him from all angles, ensuring that escape would be impossible, and arrested him. I mean, I get that they were trying to film him in the act of, like, maybe kidnapping a child. Mm Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that so far what they've got on tape is just him being weird and talking to children, which is, like, not good, but... But then you would never want to... For the purposes of catching him, you still Mm. don't want to ever put someone, a victim, in the position of actually being victimised and you're almost letting it happen just so you can get the evidence. Um, It's not really worth... Even if they're not going to die, you know, it's not really worth traumatising a person. I don't know. Chikatilo didn't say much as he was arrested. In fact, to underline his innocence, he actually pointed out that he had been arrested in relation to the same series of murders before, in 1984. Which doesn't seem like a great strategy to me. (laughs) To be like, no, 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 I'm totally innocent. You've already arrested me for this. (laughs) (laughs) You already had me on your radar, (laughs) guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, not great. So police could only hold a suspect for 10 days without evidence. And the evidence they had against Chikatilo was entirely circumstantial, especially as another blood test proved his blood type to be A, not AB. Although I will note, and I'm not sure when this falls during the investigation, but at some point they were able to obtain a sperm sample from him. And I don't know whose job that is to collect this sample from him. Mm. But, yeah. (laughs) A Russian hero. (laughs) (laughs) Their plan was to get him to basically confess to the crimes by himself, mostly by, let- mostly by letting him believe that he wouldn't be prosecuted for them if he did confess. Isak Osteyev led the interrogation, which began on the 21st of November 1990. 
Initially, Chikatilo wouldn't confess to the murders, although admitted to his paedophilic activities as a teacher. He wrote extensively, and his writings revealed many of the disturbing elements that had been supposed in the profile that the psychologist had composed, but they didn't explicitly refer to the murders. Many of the traits Chikatilo exhibited in his writings matched up with the ones described by Buchanowski in his famous 65-page profile. Eight days into the interrogation, police decided to bring Buchanowski in to read his profile to Chikatilo, who reportedly burst into tears within two hours and confessed to everything. With only one day left before Chikatilo could have been legally released due to a lack of evidence, he formally confessed to his murders, alerting the police to ones that they hadn't even been aware of. The excellent memory Chikatilo had put to use during his studies allowed him to recall the details of each victim and each murder, irrefutably proving that he was the murderer. And I find it really interesting how well he remembers each murder and how accurate he is, because you often either get murderers who claim not to remember all their victims, or who falsely claim to have killed more people than they actually have. For the sort mm. of like, glor- the like glorification aspect. It takes a certain kind because, like, so many, so many uh, would either deny or they don't want to talk about it or other things. But there are a specific set of killers that really like the added attention that comes with salacious detail Mm. because there's like more attention involved in the horror, and that is exciting. And also, probably, it's part of their reliving. No, definitely. Um, to, to retell the story is almost to get off on it again. Yeah. Chikatilo's trial began on the 14th of April, 1992, before Judge Leonid Akubzhanov. As I mentioned before, the relatively recent liberation of the Russian press and media meant that this case was one of the first major cases that was so openly discussed and mediatized. To give you an idea of the detail this trial went into, the first two days of the trial were dedicated solely to reading out the charges Chikatilo was accused of. Hmm. Although he had confessed and been very cooperative in providing the details of his crimes beforehand, during the trial Chikatilo often acted up. He would argue with the judge, randomly start singing, go off on long tangents about his difficult childhood, or even expose himself to the court. God. Yeah. Chikatilo was placed inside a cage for the duration of the trial and would have to be removed from the courtroom on a number of occasions. Many speculate that this erratic behaviour was an intentional act, hoping to sort of prove his insanity. Right, yeah, I can see that. I mean, he's more conniving than he appears to be. I think I think he really plays the role of, like, I'm totally unhinged, like, yeah. really well. But he actually probably has much more control he's than also, you'd think yeah no he's very smart and like the fact that he was able to stop killing people for a bit proves that he's not yeah you know mad mm. in that sense the families of many of his victims were present during the trial Chikatilo was assigned guards due to the risk of one of these people seeking revenge although the authors of the book comrade Chikatilo point out that any member of the public could have easily brought a gun into the courtroom as none of them were searched at all before entering. At one point, one of the victim's brothers threw a piece of metal at Chikatilo, which actually hit him, and when the guards went to arrest him, all of the other family members shielded him from them, Hmm. which I think is a nice act of solidarity. On the 15th of October 1992, Judge Azubjanov sentenced Chikatilo to death, 
as well as... I wasn't sure how to put this, but he also received 86 years imprisonment for the 52 murders he was convicted of, as well as the multiple counts of sexual assault he was found guilty of. Mm. It's almost like a formality. Yeah. But not... doesn't change the sentence. No. Yeah. Although this verdict initially caused Chikatilo to shout abuse at the judge, he remained silent when asked to give a response to the verdict. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. That's just like... It's like, um... It's like, bah! and then you're like, do you have anything to say? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just taking the uh, piss. Chikatilo was executed on the 14th of February, 1994. He was taken from his cell to a soundproofed room where he was executed with a single gunshot to the head. And wow, again, I find really it interesting. Like when, when, what, sorry, what year was he executed? Two years after the verdict in 94. Right. But I find it interesting to compare to other cases like Yon Romaru, where they all get, yeah, they usually get executed by firing squad if they're shot, mm. so that they don't know who's directly responsible for killing him. But in Russia, they're just like, no, <laughs> in Russia, just they're just one like, guy yeah, in there I can't with a gun wait to be the one. <laughs> <laughs> but especially because he's, he's, I, I don't think, I think there would, you would have a lot of people who would be happy to kill him. Yeah, the kind of crimes that he's done. There are a lot of people who would have no problem pulling a trigger in that scenario. Mm. So that's it for the case of Andrei Chikatilo. Wow. Strange one. It's just so violent. It's like, it's the, just all the extremes taken all the way to their conclusion of extremity. Yeah. I think one of the key things is the, the context of the country at the time the his his childhood and stuff is um a prime backdrop for something like this to happen although you know these things happen in in countries you'd think of as stable as well but it's um but it has a particular it's almost like a textbook case in that it's like there's a very clear childhood trauma Mm. That's linked to this, to like rape. Yes. That then develops into this whole weird... Yeah, and the, and the impotency and the dysfunction, all of those things are quite clearly linked up. It's just, as with all of them, it's always like, what makes you an impotent person that will kill someone? <laughs> as opposed yeah. to an impotent person who, as many thousands well, thousands he, or millions i'm sure been, of people who go through their their day having experienced trauma experienced impotency and do not gouge out the eyes of children <laughs> so yeah it's but another it's like one of those he, things that's what's so weird is that he was living a perfectly normal life at the same time like he did sort of have it all mm. he had a wife who was very like i don't know much about her but she was married to this fucking psycho for And she was years, also so. open to, like, for, I'm sure for many women, especially maybe in the past, when it wasn't so um, socially accepted to have problems with fertility and socially mm. accepted to get help for those types of things, she seemed to be quite open to, like, trying different things with him and, like, you know, to help him yeah. get past this and, like to have kids with him and stuff like that so she can't have been like shaming him that much you know no, he actually said he would like 
the one thing he would constantly repeat was how much he loved his wife yeah. and how much like she was the best thing in his life. So there's no, you know, there's so you've got someone in your life who's really supportive with all of these issues and yet it's still not enough. It's interesting. And then because in this book they talk about stuff and it's the reason I'm not recommending it, although it's an interesting read, is that it was like it was actually written before he was even executed. So it's very fresh. <laughs> But it's very, like, sens- not sensational, but it's kind of dramatic mm. in a way. And very speculative. Yeah. But um, I think there was a point where he even had a mistress and he was able to have sex with her normally. Huh. And she was like, well, I guess it's just not going to happen with me and him, but he can go and have a mistress and that's fine. Like, she seems very chill. Mm. Yeah. But, um. It's like, there's no reason for this guy to be doing this. That's interesting. I mean, not that there is ever a reason. <laughs> I mean, no, there's there's no reason that would make it acceptable for you to go around killing people and maiming them. But, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel on whatever platform you listen to these. And rate it five stars. Even... Five stars. Yeah. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> Um, we're also on social media if you'd like to connect with us there we'd love to hear from you on twitter at about murder on instagram at a podcast about murder on facebook.com slash a podcast about murder with no e and you can always send us an email at a podcast about murder at outlook.com and we also have a youtube channel if you search for a podcast about murder on channels on youtube you'll find it and we upload the episodes with um images from the case yeah. and stuff like that so check that out as well and subscribe yeah we also have like bonus content sometimes sometimes <laughs> on there sometimes rarely we've got a blooper yeah. reel if you guys are into that yes I've, i'm already gathering things for the next one. Oh great i <laughs> feel like i've given with this you. episode alone <laughs> <laughs> with this episode alone i've like given you enough for like 10 minutes <laughs> of bloopers Okay, well, have a great weekend. Have a nice weekend. Um, That's all. Hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. Yeah, keep doing that. Don't stop doing it.